The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 29. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Amen. thank you for this beautiful, glorious Lord's Day that you have gathered us together as your people, the church, your sons and daughters, redeemed by the blood of your precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you, Lord, that we may gather here in safety and security, and we pray that as we are here together as your people, that you would not only join our hearts together in worship this morning, the things that we say, the things that we sing, and as we listen, We pray, Lord, that you would give us attentive minds and hearts, free us from distraction, that we might behold the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. Lord, we also pray in earnest that you would pour out your spirit upon your people, that as we hear the gospel, that we would believe it. Lord, we pray for repentance and faith, gifts that you give your people, not anything that we can manufacture on our own. And we thank you, Lord, that you inhabit the praises of of your children. And we pray now, joining our hearts and our voices together, to pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning, for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the hymnal, if you would like to turn there. Because this is a confession of our faith, I'm going to ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Dear believer who clings to the Lord Jesus Christ and pleads the merits of his blood alone, hear the assurance of God's pardon of your sins from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to those who seek him. Amen. Let's continue to worship now. Take your hymnal and turn to number eight as we sing, Mighty God, while angels bless you.
children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. Come on forward. Have a seat. Plenty. Well, I've got a question for you as you all are finding a seat. Scooch in, scooch in. I've got a question for you this morning. What Bible character do you think of when you hear of a lion? Daniel, David, who else? Samson. Samson? What Bible character do you think of? What person in the Bible do you think of when you think of a lion? God. God? Yeah. Jesus? A soldier? A soldier? Samson? Samson? What Angels? Angels? Well, there's a reference in the book of Peter that I thought maybe some of you might mention. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And as I thought about that this week and I thought about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it so interesting that your enemy and mine, Satan, he hates you. He hates your faith. He hates your love for Jesus, your love for the Bible. And it says that he roars around like a lion. The best he can do is try to mimic what Jesus is. Did you know that in the book of Genesis, God told his people through Moses that one would come from the tribe of Judah who would be like a lion? And in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, the people are gathered together and they have this book in, their, in front of them. And they mourn and they weep because no one is holy or righteous to open the seal of the book. And... One calls out and says, Do not weep, people of God, for the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open it. Who is that lion? One of you said it earlier. Who is that lion of the tribe of Judah? Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is the lion who, who is majestic, who is beautiful, who protects his people and provides for them. That's why that reference to a lion is so significant. Have you ever seen a lion? Have you ever been to a zoo and seen one? Have you ever heard one roar? Yeah. Well, you're going to hear about that today. That the Lord roars from Zion. I read that in Amos a couple Sundays ago. And your King Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is the one that protects you. He's the one who provides for you and takes care of you. So as you hear about this later in the, in the sermon, I want you to think of it. Who is the lion who protects me? It is my King Jesus. He takes care of me, and he is majestic and holy and right and good, and I can trust him. And I want to encourage you today, as I pray for you in just a moment, trust in the Lord Jesus. Trust him only. He is a good shepherd, and he cares for you, and he loves you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this very vivid imagery in the Bible of our Savior, our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek cover from our sins, cover from this world, and cover from our enemy Satan only in you. Help us, Lord, not to run to worthless things, thinking that they will protect us. And I pray, Lord, for our covenant children this morning and for our families, that you would remind us of the goodness and the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
And I pray, Lord, that as you speak to us through your word today, that we would hear the voice of the Lord. And I pray for our children, Lord, that they would hear and listen and rejoice, because this is Jesus, my Savior, speaking to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, if you would please turn to page 787. We're going to read together out loud Psalm 13 on page 787. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts, and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Amen. Let's stand together, turn to hymn number 92 as we continue to worship our God with the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God.
seated. This month for our pastoral prayer time, we have been praying for Robbie and Murray Lathrop as they serve the Lord as missionaries that we uh, not only financially support, but also uh, support them with our prayers. And we want to take an opportunity to pray for them this Sunday. And we also want to pray uh, for our church family, for those in our midst who uh, are having significant health concerns or maybe issues that are long-term, that haven't been short. I want to pray for those who uh, have been sick and ill and those maybe who would love to be here today but can't be. And I also want to pray for us as we prepare to open God's Word in just a few moments that you would hear the words of your God and Heavenly Father, not the words of a man, but the words of your Savior, and that you would receive them as such. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in Heaven, we thank you again this morning that we may call upon you as our Father, that because of the Lord Jesus Christ and His gracious work of redemption, we may call upon the name of the Lord as sons and daughters of the living God. We thank you, Lord, that you hide us in the cleft of the rock, that you take care of your people, that you are the lion of the tribe of Judah, that you care for us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember that, though we are in the midst of a spiritual battle here in this world, that our enemy is not conquering us, that you have actually been victorious over him. Lord, we pray that you would help us in the middle of this fight, that some days it seems that our faith is hanging on by a thread. We pray, Lord, that you would remind us it is not us that hold on to you, but you that keep us in the palm of your hand. Lord, I pray that that would be an encouragement for your people as they think about trials and difficulties in their own lives. I pray that it would be an encouragement to them to know that it's not up to their resources or their skills or their intellect that you, Lord Jesus Christ, hold on to them. And Lord, I do thank you and praise you that we may call upon your name on behalf of Robbie and Murray Lathrop. We pray, Lord, that you would bless them today. We pray for the work that they are doing that is significant, that is laying up treasures in heaven. We pray that you would fill them with all joy and delight in serving you. Lord, I pray for their marriage. I pray for their finances. I pray for their own spiritual health as they walk with you each day. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them rest and peace in this season of ministry. I thank you, Lord, that we may be able to support them financially, but also, Lord, the important and vital time that we spend on Sunday morning as a church body, bowing our heads before you to pray for them, to lift them up to you. Lord, I pray for their encouragement in the ministry. Some days are lonely, some days are difficult, and it seems like all you can do is make a to-do list and not really get any of it done. I pray that you would encourage them in the midst of this work, that it is labor for the Lord and never in vain. And Lord, I do pray for us as your people. Lord, we are a people that are needy. We depend on grace and mercy, even sometimes when we don't recognize it. And I pray for us today, Lord, as we are about to open your word, that we would hear the voice of our Heavenly Father. I pray that by your Spirit you would open the Scriptures to us, that we might see and behold wonderful things out of your law, that it would encourage our hearts, all of us, from little ones to children to young people, 
people of all ages, Lord, that we would see and be thankful for your faithfulness through the generations to all of your covenant people. But Lord, especially that you would look to us and be gracious to us, knowing that there's nothing in us that would draw you to us. We just praise you and we thank you. And we pray, Lord, that we would hear attentively and listen to the voice of our Savior today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the Old Testament book of Amos. This morning our scripture reading is from Amos chapter 3 verses 1 through 8. Amos chapter 3. This is the word of the Lord. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for your iniquities. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out in his den if he has caught nothing? Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, 
Will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. This morning our sermon is entitled, The Lion Has Roared, from verse 8 in the text that we just read. And you remember that we read just a couple of weeks ago now, as we began the book of Amos, in chapter 1, verse 2, that Amos wrote saying to the people of God that the lion roars from Zion. From Jerusalem, he speaks his word to his people. Amos's audience at this time was materially prosperous, you remember, and religiously complacent. They were sleepy to the idea that God would hold his people accountable. They were materially prosperous. They wanted not for a lot. They were spiritually complacent, religiously complacent. They had a, a form of what might look like godliness, but they denied the power of it. They participated. You might even say they were present in church, but their hearts were far from God. They moved through the motions, went through the activities, but by and large, their hearts were not seeking after God. They were not depending upon grace. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 11, it says that the rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own esteem. They believed that they were protected, untouchable, that it was impossible for any of their enemies to do anything to them. And certainly with all this prosperity, God must be pleased with us. Why would he hold us accountable? We've talked a few times already this morning about lions. And talk of lions for a sheep farmer, as Amos was, was no laughing matter. It was actually serious business for him to address it this way. The people who heard this message from Amos would have immediately understood the analogy that he was drawing. That just as it was serious for a sheep farmer to be careful about lions and to pay attention when he heard the lion roar, so it is significant and critical that God's people hear when he addresses the sins of his people. Just as no cattle farmer here, if you have cows, no cattle farmer would joke with his neighbor about his cows being loose. Proverbs chapter 26 verse 19 says that only a, a heartless man, only an evil man would joke, would say something to his neighbor like this and then say, oh, it was only a joke. This was no joking matter. Amos is not playing games. He's talking about the Lion of Judah's thunderous warning to his people, the church, that judgment is coming because of their sins. It's clear from this text and throughout all of Scripture that there are only two kinds of responses to this type of message and warning. Number one, either you agree with God, you turn to Him in repentance and faith, or you further harden your heart at the warning and you turn away from the living God in rebellion. Those are the two options. There is no middle ground. There is no third way. Either you turn to God in repentance and faith, confess your sins to Him, and plead the mercy of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, or you turn away from Him and pay for your sins yourself. Those are the options. May God be 
pleased today to give us attentive hearts that we would not miss his clear, generous call of gospel grace and mercy in this text today. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. As we look at this text this morning, God speaks to his people. So as we look at it, I want to do so under three headings. Number one, God speaks to them in love. Number two, God questions them for clarity. And number three, God warns them for justice. So number one, God speaks to them in love. He says in verse one, hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel. This is a a way of saying to them, as many of you have said, I'm sure, are you listening to me, to your son or to your daughter? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen, people of God, he says, pay careful attention These aren't the musings of a a sheep herder. This is the voice of the living God. He is speaking to you with authority. And when it says, this is a word that God has spoken against you, it could also mean that it's about you. I'm telling you about yourselves, things that you miss, things that you don't see. But not only are they things about you, but they are things against you. I have these against you, these sins that are real, Against my holiness, against my righteousness, my covenant people have sinned and rebelled against me. Is how God is speaking to them. And he says that he calls them the whole family which I brought up out of the land of Egypt in verse 1. And in verse 2 he says, you only have I known. These are terms of endearment and love. This is covenant language that God is speaking to his people. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, in verses 6 through 8, it says, For you, this is God speaking to his people, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the house of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Those were the words that God instructed Moses to speak to his people. Did you catch that? He said, I didn't choose you because you were the largest population, because you're actually quite small. I didn't choose you because you are rich, because you're actually quite poor. I chose you simply because I chose you. Isn't that something that our hearts long to hear? And isn't that wonderful when your your spouse or your children or maybe a parent says, do you know why I love you? And isn't it telling of our hearts that we say, well, you know, I, I love you because you take care of me. I love you because you give me good things. I love you because... I just enjoy getting to spend time together. Isn't it wonderful to hear? And doesn't your heart just melt when you hear, I love you because I love you. Just because, just because I have set my love on you. That's what God says to his people. Not because I need anything from you, because I don't. Not because you can do anything for me, because you can't. 
God is perfectly satisfied in harmony in the Trinity. He needs nothing from us. It was his delight to set his love on his people by his grace. He's speaking here to them of covenant language. He says, I elected you. I chose you. It was me who chose, not you. I chose you. He says, I adopted you. You didn't have a family, and I brought you into mine. You weren't part of a covenant people, and I made you that. Who else can say I can speak truth into existence but God Almighty? And He does it. He takes the people who were not a people and makes them one. He makes them His. It's also the covenant language of redemption. You were without a God, without a a people, without a land, without a name. And I gave you all of it. I took you out of the pit, out of prison, in bondage in Egypt. I redeemed you. Just as he says to you in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were lost and dead in sin, and I called you to myself. I took what was dead and made it alive. A heart that had no desire to love me, and I put love in it. For me and for my ways. I delighted in you. Filled you with my spirit. I do give you the good things of the earth to enjoy. Only as a reminder of my love and care for you. Not to satisfy you alone apart from me. He also says covenant words like affection. My love. My sincere. Faithful. Abiding. Never changing love. I have set on you. Do you know that about yourself? That you desire that? You desire to be loved unconditionally. How many of you are excited about getting up and having to do things to earn something? Maybe. But maybe you dread it. I'm not enough. What if I I do? What if the very best that I can do is not enough? And in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can look in the mirror and say, I know it's not. Because if there's anything that I can add to salvation, Jesus died needlessly. And because He died to save me, to make me a child of God, I know that there's nothing I can add to it. Thank you, Lord, for saving me, a sinner. You don't have to put on airs before your Heavenly Father. And lastly, This word of covenant language is deep fellowship. When God called his people to himself, he didn't say, I'm going to save you and set you in a land and then you go and figure out life. You work it out. He says, no, I will be with you. It's what Moses begged for in Exodus. He said, Lord, don't send us into the land unless you're going with us. And by the way, it wasn't each of us to our own home. You pull in your yard And you go down the driveway and close your garage door. And here we are enjoying the the bounty of God's covenant. It was that we as God's people are now a family who were not a family before. We have love and, and blessed sweet communion that we never understood before and never had. And now by the spirit of God, he has joined our hearts together and knit us together in love. Bound us together as his people. Praise the Lord. For the body of Christ. This is the rich language that God is using to speak to his people. It's why I believe that this first part of this passage is God speaking to his people in love. He's reminding these wayward people 
that when I began a work in you, I did it in love and affection. I wasn't calling you to work for me. I actually was showing you that I work for those whom I love. And he says to them, only you have I known. This is a deeply intimate word between God and his people. You see this image in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 when Paul speaks about the relationship between a husband and a wife. You only have I known. It is to be unique and exclusive. There was to be a special relationship between God and his people, just as there is an exclusive and unique and special relationship between a husband and a wife who have been married and taken vows to one another under the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to them, I set my love upon you. I have set you apart of all the peoples in the world. I set you apart to be mine. And yet in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 20, the prophet says, as a wife treacherously deals and departs from her husband. So you have dealt treacherously with me. That's the, the language of Amos. He's telling them, you left God. This one who redeemed you from from Egypt, who took you away from your sins, this one who covered your sins and brought you into a home, gave you a name and an inheritance, you departed from him as a wayward wife would leave her husband. He says there in verse 2, Therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. And one commentary that I read studying this passage, I was very surprised and a little bit off-put. And I decided to share it with you. He wrote that this part of this verse, everyone loves to hear about how much someone loves them. Don't you love it if your spouse says, I love you? They do little things that show you tokens of their affection. And yet here he gets to the end of this verse and you would think the bottom fell out. The commentator said, most of them would have been completely surprised to hear that God would punish them for their sins. And I read that and I scratched my head and I thought, I don't see how that's possible. When they gathered together as God's people and the law was read, didn't they hear both the blessings and the curses? How could this generation not know? How is it possible that they didn't know that God is a serious God about his character, his love, his righteousness and his holiness? How could they not know of their responsibility before God? How could they deny it? How could their conscience push it away? Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 10 through 12. And it shall be when you show this people all these words, Jeremiah writes, and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord. They have walked after other gods and have served them and worshiped them and have forsaken me and not kept my law. And you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, each one follows the dictates of his own heart so that no one listens to me. That is arresting. In just three verses, Jeremiah says, that for generations, people moved from hearing the law of God and obeying it to worshiping other gods and serving them. And then just one generation next, they totally don't even listen to the voice of God. 
That is alarming. And you might sit back and say, how could the church not know that God might punish people for their sins? How is it that we are not able even to to swallow that pill or drink that medicine? Why is it that we don't want to hear it? I think we we are fooling ourselves if we think we are so much different than the people of Israel, those whom God was speaking to through his prophet. How did the church, how could a church not know of God's judgment because of sins and his punishment, his real punishment for it? Hear this word about the reminder of God's people, how they were to hear of the law. Deuteronomy 31, this was God's plan for his people. So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the son of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them saying, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the feast of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. How could the church not know about God's punishment for sins? I think some of it lays at the feet of preachers who don't preach the gospel. The whole counsel of the word of God. There is culpability there. As ministers, we take vows to preach God's word, even if it is not popular. But isn't it also true, as we read here in Deuteronomy chapter 31, that there was a responsibility also for the elders. They were to gather the people. They were to call them to attention. And isn't it also true that there was responsibility in families? It says there, that children who do not know the ways of the Lord were to hear it. You do a good thing, a righteous thing, a holy thing, families, when you bring your children to church. It is not unnecessary. And hearing your children in church is not a bother. It is not a disturbance. It is good for God's people to be together, to hear His Word proclaimed, to worship the Lord here together as His people. We might be appalled, as we think about their unwillingness to agree with God, to not hear His voice. But I ask you this morning, as you hear the Word of God read and proclaimed, are you repenting of sins on a regular basis? Are you crying out to God for grace and mercy? Does covenant disobedience in your own heart prick your heart? Does it move you to repentance and faith? Number one, God speaks to them in love. Number two, God questions them in clarity. Notice that each of these questions that Amos asks God's people, they are all very clear. These are not hidden mystery messages. And each one of them expects a no response. Notice there is not wishy-washiness before the throne of God. Truth actually does matter. And truth does exist. It is real. Nothing in life either happens by chance. You see this in each of these very logical examples and questions that Amos is asking in verse 3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? There has to be mutual submission and obedience. What he's saying is, 
How could God walk with his people? A holy God apart from them submitting to him and obeying his laws. He's telling them, if we are not walking together anymore, if God is not walking with you, it's not him who moved. You did. God is unchanging. Praise the Lord for that. In verse 4, he says, does a lion roar or a young lion cry out in the den? A roar was a, a symbol to them that judgment is coming. Are you listening? Judgment is coming. And he's saying that God is not vindictive. God doesn't have an agenda. He's saying if punishment is coming, it is because the sins of his people have attracted it. God is not pernicious. Verse 5, will a bird fall into a snare or a snare spring up? God doesn't miss either. Those of you who hunt, isn't it one of the things that you, you tell, or maybe you don't tell, of those stories when you almost got something? Or maybe those of you who fish and you got the lure, it was on the hook, you saw it when it hit the water. And the fish came and you felt it and you almost got the big one. But the only thing you have is you're almost and I got real close. You have no meat to show for it. Nothing to hang on your wall. When God judges a people, He does not miss. He catches them. He punishes them for their sins. In verse 6, if a trumpet is blown, are the people in the city not afraid? God is warning His people. And He's saying by this, when God sounds a trumpet, people should be concerned. If God blows a trumpet, people should be concerned. And you might say, well, you know, for two weeks now, you've been preaching harsh messages, preacher. Why so harsh? Why so hard? Why does it seem that God is so bent on judgment? And I want to remind you, in, in mercy and in grace, that the gentle correction that God offered His people has been ignored in the book of Amos. And that's why He's speaking this way. The wrath of God has been stirred. And there should be urgency in our response, in their response. Just as if a trumpet called people to action. They were to move. When you hear the voice of God calling you to repent, you should listen and obey Verse 6, if there is calamity, will not the Lord have done it? It doesn't mean that God does evil. That word calamity can mean adversity or affliction, trials, difficulties. Some people have misinterpreted this verse to say that God works evil. I've had some interesting discussions with some of you about the difficulties that we find ourselves in now. How is it? That these things can happen in the world. Does it mean that God is not loving? Does it mean that God does not care? No. It doesn't mean that. But I believe that it does mean that God will bring about the salvation of His people by the means He deems necessary. I do not believe God brings evil into your life. He is not the author of evil. He does bring trials and affliction and adversity. And the Bible promises that He causes us to be saved in the midst of those difficulties. He doesn't promise to take them away. He doesn't. God promises to save you out of your trials and through them. 
He doesn't promise to take them away from you. In Isaiah chapter 45, verses 6 and 7, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and I create darkness. I make peace and I create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. There's a book written by J.B. Phillips, Your God is Too Small. I heard a conversation this week in a coffee shop and a lady was telling a man that if you have, if you have difficulties or lack in your life, it's not because God is doing it. The enemy is after you. I want to encourage you today, as you might think that way, that things are coming into my life, things are happening to me or to my family, and it seems like the devil has a foothold. I want to encourage you to put that away. It's a lie. Your heavenly Father is working everything in your life. The good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, the anxious, the fearful. He is working in everything in your life. We believe that by His providence, He governs all of His creatures and His entire creation. There is nothing outside of His hands. I want to encourage you to reflect on that. The ideas of sin and conviction and guilt and shame and punishment are unpopular today. Maybe you are just counting the moments when this will be over. And many in our, in our time will say that if we talk about these things with clarity and sincerity, sincerity, that it might hurt our self-image. We might think badly of ourselves. We might not think we're enough. And yet God says in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as white. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He doesn't say, I'll wink at your sin. I'll just slide it under the rug. He says, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as white as snow. Not because I wipe them away, but because I wash them away by the blood of my son, the Lamb of God. Number one, God speaks to them in love. Number two, God questions them for clarity. And number three, God warns them for justice. There can be no claim through all of Scripture in your life or in mine that God is unjust. There cannot. He is not unjust to His character. He is not unjust to His people. That He warns of coming punishment is actually gracious. He owes us no warning whatsoever. He owes us no reminder, no repetition. How many of you have ever thought that parent? I will not say it again. I won't say it again. I said it once. If God said it once, that is enough. He doesn't have to tell us again. We have plenty of examples in our lives and through the scriptures of examples and warnings of God's faithfulness to tell us we should shudder and repent. That we lay aside His Word. That we hear His Holy Word and lay it down like yesterday's newspaper. We take the warnings and God's patience for granted. 
And as you think about this passage this morning, they set aside the law of God. We set aside the Lord Jesus Christ, our precious Savior, in our disobedience. If there is fear when a lion roars, how can we respond no differently to God's voice? As I thought about this in terms of degrees, think about the revelation that they had here. Amos is speaking forth the word of God as a prophet. We have been given the word of God, have the privilege and the opportunity to read it every day, to pray that by God's spirit, he would show us the beauty of Jesus. Think of it in terms of degrees. And I'm not saying we're worse sinners, we're all sinners. But I'm saying we should not so lightly set aside God's word and the Lord Jesus Christ and all that God has given us. Some might say, well, God is love. Why are you talking about fearing him? Because the Bible says that holy awe and reverence and respect are due God. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How is it that a people could think that any people or nation or family or individual could be healed apart from fearing the Lord? How is that possible? Only because of our sin. Proverbs chapter 14, verse Psalm 114, excuse me, says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. I want to ask you, do you think that God is unjust? As you hear the voice of the lion roaring from his word today, do you believe that God is unjust? That you've been dealt an unfair hand? That life is more difficult or your job or your circumstance or your family or your children are more difficult than you deserve? I want to encourage you. Consider the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's anyone who has a claim that God is unjust, Jesus died after living a perfect life. And will God redeem his people? Remember the resurrection of Jesus. He absolutely will care for you. If he raised up Jesus, the perfect son of God, he will absolutely care for you, his people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. For your precious son, Jesus, and his payment of a sinless life and brutal death on the cross that we might be redeemed. I pray, Lord, that we as your people might hear your voice through your word, that we will obey it and that we will walk in your ways. Help us, Lord, where we are weak and frail. And I pray, Lord, for encouragement, for uplifting for those here today who are walking the walk of faith, who are in the fight. I pray that you would encourage their hearts, Lord, hold them up in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word by singing hymn number 45.
seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. <laughs> Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of giving back to you now our tithes and our offerings that we might proclaim to our hearts, to one another, and to our children that this world is not our home. Lord, we pray that you would see us being faithful and obedient in our giving, and we pray, Lord, that you would use our tithes and our offerings for the sake of the spread of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that lost souls might hear of Jesus, the great Redeemer. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. stay. Please join us uh, for this time of fellowship. Let us pray briefly. Father in heaven, we thank you for the hands that have prepared the dishes that we are about to partake in. We thank you for the blessed communion of the saints that you give us, that we might fellowship together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Bless our time together in this meal. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive the benediction of our Lord. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.